On this episode of the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience, John Maddox sits down with one of Forbes' 30 under 30, James Heller. James went from a cushy Fortune 50 job to cashing in his 401k and selling everything he had, luxury sports car included, to start his now successful company, Rapify. If you're not already familiar with his company, Rapify is a gig economy platform similar to Uber, Lyft, and Airbnb that allows drivers to monetize their time during their daily commute. The two speak about what it means to be relentless, how to write the perfect eye-catching introduction email, who James would market to if he were a broker, and much more. Now, before we get to today's episode, I want to remind you guys that we have a Fun Loans YouTube channel with a bunch of great content just like this podcast. So go over, watch a few videos, like, share, subscribe, comment, and on to the show. Welcome to the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience Podcast. Listen in as CEO John Maddox of Fun Loans reveals tips, secrets, and origination ideas to fill your pipeline with million dollar opportunities. Welcome to the podcast. This is James Heller. How you doing, James? Excellent. So uh, James here is a entrepreneur. He started a company called Rapify. Tell us a little about that. Uh, so Rapify is a gig economy platform. It's you know f- fits in that ecosystem of Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, and what we do is we provide everyday commuters and drivers and folks that are also rideshare drivers mm-hmm. with a means of further monetizing their time on the road through advertising. Nice. And then on the brand side, we provide brands the ability to actually measure what their ad spend on our platform actually does. That's cool. So you have a technology aspect to kind of wrapping cars and advertising on cars. Correct. Because I've seen the uh, rap thing that was around, I think, in, even in 2005, back when I was in the mortgage business then. Um, people came to us saying, hey, you can, you know, you can brand your stuff by just putting wraps on your car and have your employees drive them. And then everyone will see, you know, your brand. And, you know, if they're commuting to work anyway, why not pay for their car? You know, so I've heard about the idea, but I've never heard about I didn't think back then it existed that you could track kind of where they're going and knowing kind of the, the what is it, the, the CPM, right, or something like that? Yeah, or? so we Rapify is the first ad tech platform that allows a brand marketer like yourself to measure uh, a moving out-of-home object. In this case, it's wrapped vehicles or ads on things that move in the out-of-home space. Nice. So do you, do you market to like Uber drivers and Lyft drivers or does it anybody – uh, well, there's two sides of our platform, right? Okay. So the supply side would be our drivers. So yep. yeah, Uber, Lyft drivers are definitely a big chunk of it, but also people who want to monetize their time on the road, especially yeah. in markets like San Diego, where you're sitting in the car for long periods right. of time. So like, say we've got a, you know, like, I don't know, 70 employees, I think now. So say many of them commute, right? Sometimes it's 45 minutes a day. Um, if, if could fund loans advertise, and have like it pay for like we could pay for that advertising and it pay for one of our employees cars or something like that. Is that that's I mean, I that's mean, definitely have to spend the money. Yeah, right? that's but, definitely a use case. Um, it, I would say it's an edge case because there are we you, fund loans might want to target specific parts of a market. And right. so what our platform does is matches the right drivers with the right parameters for the campaign that right. you're trying to deliver. So if there are people driving on the coast, maybe you'll advertise for like a surf shop or you know beach something or like or kind of tell me more about how that works yeah so most of our business most of the brands on our platform are upper mid-market to enterprise so mm-hmm. typically not a local not surf a local, shop you right. know an average single market campaign on our platform is going to go from you know fifty thousand dollars up to you know in the hundreds of thousand dollars and then we have national brand advertisers that are running campaigns in you know, the top DM, DMAs across the country or in a multi-market scenario. So nice. not necessarily a, a small business thing. Mm-hmm. Wrapping vehicles before Rapify was kind of a, you know, a, a novelty. Right. It was a, a, a thing that you can do to get your name out there. But there sure. was really no way of understanding, you know, what that actually did in terms of driving uh, performance marketing initiative. Nice. So is this your first company that you started? or This is my first venture back startup. Okay, cool. Yeah. And tell us how you started, kind of what was the process? Was it a, uh, I think you said you, you'd cashed in your 401k, you, you sold your sports car, you just put, went all in 
tell us a little bit about kind of how you started. Yeah. So my background's in marketing, okay. uh, specifically B2B tech. Mm-hmm. So before Rapify, I worked for one of the largest or the largest technology wholesaler, uh, Ingram Micro. I got to run global digital marketing for their cloud division. And then before that, I uh, was a marketing director for a data center in cloud provider here in San Diego. Cool. So so marketing was always, you know, it's my passion. It's the thing I really, really love doing. And out of home and, you know, outdoor advertising has always been really shiny and cool, but mm-hmm. like equally is uncool in terms of your ability as a marketer to measure what that ad spend actually does. So right. when I uh, early on in my career, there were a few I ran two larger marketing events here in San Diego. And I mm-hmm. thought, how cool to be. And this is right at the beginning of Uber and Lyft. I thought, how cool to be to create a you know, a segment of the gig economy that solved for advertising right. and basically use this this workforce, this this 1099 workforce to get my ads where I want them, when I want them, and be able to measure what that exposure actually does. So that that was the ethos of why I wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. And it ate away at me for several years to the point of me quitting a pretty cushy Fortune 50 job and dumping a hundred percent of every liquid asset that I have into yeah into starting this. So you went all in. You just, you, you knew you had a good idea and you said, I'm going to go all in. Uh, yeah, that's the, that. And we proved that I had a good idea before yeah. I went all in. So, you know, there's, there's proving because we're a two-sided marketplace, there's proving the, you know, the driver's side, do, will people want to do this? And that mm-hmm. was, you know, that was the easiest solve. It was unequivocal. Right. People want to do this. Um, and then it was, will brands buy it? And kind of going back to your earlier statement, you know, you were approached by a lot of folks, but it sounds like you didn't ever spend a dime on it. No, and we thought about it, but we yeah, didn't know. But, but if you knew that you could actually tie it back to ROI and yep. scale it and be able to measure, you know, how it actually did in terms of loan origination. Right. Um, so how do you tie your- it to loan origination? You just, you get, you put a special phone number on there? No, no. We actually take it way further than that. So, okay. um, Say a, a mortgage broker decided that they were going to pony up some cash to do a, a local campaign in, in the market that they serve. Right. We would be able to uh, gather the audience that was exposed to the vehicles in their campaign. Mm-hmm. And we use that location data from the vehicles that are driving on their campaign to aggregate audience. So folks that are within an exposure radius of each one of these vehicles. Mm-hmm. And every one of those folks or almost all of them are they've got an iPhone or Android device in their pocket. And we built technology that allows us to grab those ad IDs, those mobile ad IDs. So we use that. Wait, wait, wait. So you can you can tell the cars that are passing by the car that you have wrapped. You can tell what kind of phones that they have in their cars, the cars that are passing Not just by. what kind of phones, but we know that that mobile ad ID is associated with a household with a bunch of other devices that was exposed to your And that's your because ad. our phones have all the data on us. It, and then they share it. And, yeah, it's yeah. because your phone's running a bunch of free apps and those right. apps monetize your data by selling it to companies like me. Mm-hmm. And again, this is all anonymized data, so I don't know that it's John, but I sure. know that this mobile ad ID was exposed and there might be some... There, we might be able to segment a third, another audience that matches with the criteria for who they're trying to reach. Interesting. So you could probably pull how much data, how many data points do you have on each driver? Well, right now we we're just pulling uh, lat long and timestamp. And okay. so we're, we know that this ad ID was within a viewable radius of, you know, the fun loans branded vehicle, for Got example. It. Um, now but do you get demographics and like we have the ability to back into demographics. Okay. So we, we basically take that audience and then we'd segment out the folks that don't match the demographic. Mm-hmm. But we don't know that John personally falls into that demographic. Sure. We just know this ad ID is in another third party Oracle data cloud list that happens to also match the demographic. Therefore, they should be uh, somebody that we measure all the way through to a conversion online. Can you tell if those people are self-employed or they have W2 jobs or 1099 jobs or anything like that? Or is that, well, we can't, too, we, too drill down. we can't tell that, but if we like, say you're, there are plenty of other companies that sell audience data right. for like, for instance, uh, Accenture and Oracle data cloud and a bunch of different ones. Sure. You can buy 
audience for folks that are 1099 or that are self-employed. Right. So we could use the exposure data from the campaign and then segment to the folks that also happen to be to, to exist in one of those lists. Right. And what's really cool about that is the recall from the exposure that we provide is extremely high. It's not normal to see 10 fund loans vehicles on your daily commute and sure. then get retargeted on your mobile device, your, you know, all of your other associated devices, hearing it on Spotify and then seeing it on Hulu. Yep. And so it's basically using a really high recall out of home impression to trigger a bunch of digital retargeting and then mm -hmm. be able to measure what happens on fund loans website. Interesting. Huh? Yeah, so I could I could see where um, and you mentioned earlier um, about all these drivers. A lot of them are 1099. So a lot of the drivers are self-employed, right? They're looking for ways to monetize their vehicle, ways to monetize their monetize their daily commute or whatever it is that they're doing, driving around. Um, I think that could be something where our audience would want to tap into like, OK, well, these people are guys that can't get, you know, necessarily they can't necessarily get a bank loan because of their 1099 and they're just, you know, they have write-offs and they're just, their income's different than your average W2 employee. Um, have you, you know, what, what do you think about um, mortgage brokers trying to approach someone like you to figure out how to get leads, you know, from, from your drivers or from your, you know, your clients, is that even possible? Uh, it's, it's possible. I'm, I think the, the challenge there is, even if you got really, really, really creative mm -hmm. with the way that you structure that, a lot of folks that participate in the 1099 and gig economy are either doing it as side income. Right. Side uh, hustle. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's augmenting whatever it is they're doing. There are folks that do it in, 100%, and do yeah. it 100 percent. Again, that's that's tough. And yeah. that's probably where, you know, where fund loans can really help. Right. So what, what would you think, what would be something that a mortgage broker is doing wrong in marketing today? Well, so I'm a little bit closer to this because my dad is, uh, he's been a real estate broker for okay. 35 years and I've met a ton of folks in that space. Yeah. I sat on caravan in the backseat of his car, my whole child <laughs> childhood, basically. Right, so you've been around it. So I've been around it. It's a, you know, a, a very beige filled with khakis, uh, industry. <laughs> and so when you use that, like. You know, that translates to beige filled with khakis brand marketing. And you look at some of the companies are really disrupting that space. Companies like Fun Loans and Compass and all these other, mm -hmm. you know, big, big names that are emerging and raising tons of money and getting crazy valuations. Right. I think what you end up looking at is they're using the channels that are relevant today. They're not using the same exact channels that they were using 20, 30, 40 years ago. Right. And so if my advice to a bro mortgage broker today is to make sure to stay relevant by using the channels that are relevant today. Right. That doesn't also, that doesn't mean that you got to ditch everything that was working in the past. It sure. just means you, you need to pay attention because yeah. the channels that work today might not work as well in a year or two years or three years. And find out where the attention is too, right? Like people's attention is not, they're not on billboards anymore as much. Some, some of them are, and some of them might be on these cars that are sitting in front of you when you're in traffic and San Diego perhaps happens to have a lot of traffic these days. So, um, I could actually see some kind of advertising going on at one of your cars that says something like, been turned down for a bank loan, like, a, you know, to buy a house, there, but something really creative and catchy and simple where, because a lot of times people who are 1099 and self-employed, they're not thinking like, you know, maybe I could get a mortgage. Uh, they're thinking, you know, I just can't because my income on my tax returns is not right. You know, I, they, they look at their tax returns, and they go, I don't know if I could qualify for a mortgage. Right. You know, and some, some of them aren't going to think ahead, like, could I use my bank statements to qualify? They're not even thinking that they're not even aware that they can do that. But if there was some kind of message on a car in traffic where someone has all the time in the world to make a phone call, um, I could see that being some type of good, especially in areas where there's a lot of entrepreneurs and there's a lot of entrepreneurs in San Diego. There's a lot of self-employed people in San Diego and other markets too. Uh, I'm sure you would have all that data. Like you might know, right? Like other markets that have self-employed people for some reason, a lot of them gravitate towards the sunny areas, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the, in the regions and stuff. But, um, have you, do you have any advertisers that are in the mortgage business? Um, 
Yeah, we have some. We we do have some FinServe brands. We have that not not just mortgage, but mm-hmm. across like insurance, mortgage, uh, some other banking products. They're typically app enabled service brands that mm-hmm. also kind of play into f- financial services and fintech. Um, like download I, our app today and you're in yeah, traffic so and you're have, like, oh, okay, let me download that while you're yeah, driving. Yeah, we have not just, not not necessarily the wall in traffic. It's really more of like, we got to drive a lot of recall because mortgages are a commodity to most people. Yep. Unless you've got, unless you've carved out a niche, like obviously like what fund loans has been able to carve out. Sure. So aside from having, you know, being a niche player, how do you create a brand that's going to not only drive awareness, but also intent mm-hmm. to the right audience. And so you got to look at what channels are going to do that. Mm-hmm. If you look at what some of the other bigger mortgage companies are doing, they just dump a ton of money on brand. Right. Right. And it's just, let's just spend a crap load of money on brand. And we've got, you know, we've got all the CAC metrics and everything that we could back into to, to evaluate how that spends actually performing over a period of time. But if you're an individual mortgage broker, you got to be way scrappier. You don't yeah. have a billion dollar brand budget. No, you can't compete with Chase and Wells Fargo and Right. So I mean, I think, you can compete in some ways because you're you're faster, you're more nimble, you're able to do stuff that, you know, they can't do. But uh, as far as branding plays, no, you can't you can't compete, you know. But you, you, I think you just hit the nail on the head. I think a big part of being successful in any one of these cottage industries mm-hmm. is carving out the niche and then marketing. That is your brand, right? You know, that is your brand. If you are the mortgage broker for the venture backed CEO, then you need to look at the channels that are going to hit that venture backed CEO. Right. Cause a lot of them, like you were mentioning, um, talk to us about that, like series a round a B C. So most entrepreneurs who are venture backed, in round A, they don't have any money. They either have all their money into the company, and we see that a lot. And even on round B, they probably have all their money in the in the in the company, and they may have gotten a little bit, but they put they're trying to put a lot of their money back in to just get it to the next stage. Um, when is a good time to approach, and how do you approach those entrepreneurs that are in those series? Can, is it public knowledge? Like, yeah, it? it is actually. That's the thing. That's that's one of the, like. So if there was a mortgage broker that was right. focused on. Why wouldn't hitting, they be? They would be they, they're going to go after guys like you who are going to get a bunch of money. Right. And then they're looking for jumbo loans. So, like, tell us right. how to do that. Like, how would you how would someone go about that? If I was uh, the marketing, if I was a CMO for a company that did that, I'd probably heavily invest in term in in Crunchbase and LinkedIn. And I would I would also build an outbound strategy that allowed me to target those audiences. But like, Mm -hmm. for example, when a Series B funding occurs, it gets Mm -hmm. announced on Crunchbase. You get to see it every single day. So Crunchbase, Crunchbase. Crunchbase. dot com, Crunchbase, dot com. And they have some amazing products uh, for marketers and for. And then you could find who the entrepreneur is that just got that series funding. Yeah. And then you can get their email. Uh, well, there's all kinds of different ways you could well, you go find email. them on LinkedIn and yeah, yeah, there's a bunch of really cool tools, but I mean, if it was me, yeah. I would use Crunchbase, LinkedIn and lead IQ, uh, lead IQ is a really cool Chrome extension that allows you to go to a LinkedIn page and scrape a bunch of information. Interesting. Um, they also went through the, we went lead through IQ.com. Yeah. Or is it an app? It's, it's a, it's a Chrome extension. So it's technically an app, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, a web enabled service. And then do you buy, can you buy, do you have to buy the data or do you just buy like a subscription and then you can go search as much as you want? It's a subscription and I think they have different levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went through the same, they were in the same cohort as, as Rapify when we went through Jason Calacanis's launch incubator. Okay. And uh, I think we're one of the only two or three companies that actually still exist that came out of that. Cool. Um, which is kind of, yeah, which is kind of part of the whole thing. You know, the, the old saying is, you know, one out of, or one out of every 10 startups you invest in will actually you know, make it. Make yeah. it. Uh, Why so, is that? Uh, well, it's really hard. And I think we could probably record an entire podcast on it, but I mm-hmm. think the number one reason is founders quit. Yeah. Founders can't, do they get to a point where they just, can't do it anymore. Yeah, that's so, hard. Yeah, there's and there's a lot of different factors that go into it. But yeah, it's it's not it's all consuming. Easy. I, I watched a um, interview with um, Apple, Steve Jobs, and he is back in the 
probably in the eighties, I think. And he was just talking about how hard it is, like how draining he's like, I, if you have a family, I, I don't recommend it because it's just, you just you, all your time is consumed. You know, you're, you're nonstop 24 hours when you're, when you're in a, a startup, like you just, yeah, I mean, it's I, intense. I, I don't, I don't have kids and I, I have founder friends that are having their firstborn or having their second kid. And I just, I have no idea how they do it. Right. But yeah, I mean, going back to like the different tools and, yeah. and, uh, yeah, I would, I would, I, I love lead IQ. It's really cool. It's a tool that my sales team uses. There's several others in that space that happens to be my favorite one. Um, Crunchbase, they have a product called Crunchbase Pro and mm-hmm. you can actually set up alerts, but yeah, I mean, if you're a mortgage broker that's focused on Southern California in a niche for folks that might be venture back CEOs, mm-hmm. you can time your outreach when the announcement of their Series B closing happens or their Series and C. How cool would it be to say, "Congrats on your your funding, right? On your, I'd love to be the one that funds your new house, kind of thing." And you even send them a gift or whatever. You'd be like, "Congrats! Like, you know, you guys are crushing it." Uh, you could do all this research on them on their company, tell them about how cool their company is, and that they'd love to, you know, be a maybe be an investor because a lot of mortgage brokers are killing it right now, making money. So, you know, how, how can I invest in your company? And I'd love to work with you on, you know, buying your next house. Yeah. Or, or just even more straight to the point. Yeah. I specialize in helping founders mm-hmm. get the right loan after they close a big round of funding. Just short and sweet. Cause I mean, being speaking, cause I'm that audience. Right. Like I, I don't know of a mortgage product that is focused on, Founders, venture backed right. startup founders. You know, I, I'm sure somebody has carved out that niche or there are a community of folks that have carved, carved out that niche. We've yeah. seen so many of those loans. I can't tell. I mean, and I know there are there's some people that are fucking getting it. They get it. They know that like that's a niche and they're going after it. Like we we did one. I mean, I, I can't really name specifics, but we did one for a pet cannabis company that does CBD for pet oils and we did their loan. We did, you know, some other founders that did some other, you know, I could, I could do it. I could go on, but I mean, it's, it definitely is a niche because they, they have very short income. They only have like income for maybe a year or they have got, you know, a recent chunk of money. And we have an asset utilization program where we just basically say, if you've got the equivalent of the money to, you know, for the loan, but you don't want to use it for the loan, you know, we can use that and say you have the ability to repay. So there's there's all kinds of ways that we can get loans done for entrepreneurs, for especially VC backed entrepreneurs. Cool. So talk to us about um, what it takes to make it like, you know, I know you've been pretty relentless, persistent. You know, you're you're, you know, all in. Right. Like what what have you found? What have you found to be secrets to your success? You know, what's funny is I, as I'm saying this, it sounds cliche because everybody says the same thing, but like it means something different to me because I'm I'm living it right now. Mm-hmm. But it's easy to say that you're relentless and persistent or you're relentlessly persistent mm-hmm. and it's different to know that you are. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, there is a there is a well, because people have different experiences, right? So maybe they're looking at their their dad or their mom or they're looking at their brother and they're like that guy's lazy. And then like, I'm working, you know, four hours more than he is. So I'm relentless and I'm persistent or I, you know, but if you compare yourself to other founders who are crushing it, you may not be relentless. You may not be persistent. Yeah. It's an opinion. Right. You know, the, like for instance, with me, my definition of difficult today versus my definition of difficult a year ago Mm -hmm. are vastly different. Right. They're just so different. Like what I thought was really hard a year ago is trivial today. Right. And so, you know, next year, like what I think hard is right now to what the exact same time period, 2020, Mm -hmm. I I mean, I'm excited and totally terrified of that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, I think that's just also a, you know, knowing that you are not stagnant, there's no stagnation in your growth. Right. Like is, is your definition of difficult today the same as it was a year, two, three, four, five years ago? Uh, probably not, you no. know, you're probably, and if it is, then you're not you're, growing, you're not growing and you're not relentlessly persistent. It's just, right. that's just the way it is. I think that's what it takes though, to be successful in, especially in a startup, you know, and then in, in, in any business you do, whether it's mortgages or selling cars or, you know, being a doctor and, you know, working more hours, whatever it is, uh, you have to have, if you, 
some, I think some people have it and some people need to work harder to have it. I think it, there's some people that just they've had it because they had to do things when they were younger. So they started earlier doing this this thing. They, they didn't have someone to hand things to them. You know, they had to probably go make it on their own. And so they just learned that process. You know, I think like Gary V says, you know, he was an immigrant. He didn't have he couldn't even afford a Jets jersey You know, all the, the stuff we've all heard. Um, but that kind of thing, you know, at a young age, if you want stuff, you got to go work for it. Um, I think that translates into being, you know, some people have been handed things a lot in their life and they need, you know, there's, there's more discipline that needs to come in and more, you know, more, there's just stuff they have to learn at later in life, you know, that but they can learn it. Right. I mean, you've probably met founders that weren't, you know, from a background necessarily that, you know, some, some people who've had nothing and came from nothing. You probably met some founders that came from something, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's there, every there walk are, of, it's all walk alive. There, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I actually am really good friends with a founder that's been really successful and he grew up kind of with a silver spoon and right. I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't have that luxury. And, you know, it's interesting to see the different dynamics in different founders and what makes them tick. Cause right. some people, have varying levels of empathy. Some people have varying levels of drive. Mm -hmm. And I think there's there's two things that if they, they exist or they coexist in your life, it really helps create a really positive outcome. That's right. And one of those is, yeah, if you love what you do, mm -hmm. then it makes being persistent a lot kind of easier. Yeah. It makes you it, just you love it. Yeah, yeah, you love it. I think the other thing that also changes a lot is people will stop pushing way before they should stop pushing. Right. And there is a, you know, with with it with sales and marketing and pretty much everything, personal relationships, family relationships, business relationships, there is a line you got to ride where it's it's overly persistent and you're becoming yeah, you don't annoying. You want to turn people off, right? right? Like there's there's I've been called someone said, "Man, you're relentless." And and it, I took it before kind of as like, "Whoa, are they, you know, they are they saying something negative to me?" But then I changed the narrative as like, "Well, I don't care. That's what I, that's who I am. That's how, how I've been successful is being relentless. And, you know, they, they said that in a way to th probably to them was like, geez, we'll get to it, dude. You know, like you're relentless. And I'm like, okay, we'll get to it. You know, like you got, I got to get this done, you know? And so there's times I think when you don't want to push and you don't want to piss people off and you, but you got to know that there's got to be some awareness of what you're, you know, what you're doing and you got to read other people and not just be, because you could blast through people and burn bridges and burn relationships pretty easy. Have you ever had that happen to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, just, it's definitely it's it's going to happen to anybody in business. Right. It's just a part of doing it. I think the, uh, the you know, the, the understanding the definition of no is another thing. It's kind of mm -hmm. going back to what you were just talking about, the empathy and EQ. Right. Like understanding that no might really just mean not, not yet now. Yeah. or not right now. Or I'm saying no to you because I have no idea why, what it is you're asking. I don't right. understand what you're asking me. And so it can no be the wrong just, time, like the yeah. right minute, like, like, like tomorrow, maybe they'll say yes. Yeah. So you got to know why they say no. Right. That and just, if you look at, I've met salespeople in all kinds of different industries and intelligence is not necessarily a indicator of how successful they are as a salesperson is one of the things I've learned. Hmm. Uh, and not in this, I'm not speaking to folks that work with me or works folks that we work directly with, but one of the things that I've learned in, in, in terms of just really successful in terms of like what they're actually earning or mm -hmm. what they're taking home annually, mm -hmm. persistence is a great substitute for intelligence yeah and if you have both and you have eq and you understand how to ride that line and continue to be persistent mm -hmm. when they're ready you'll be there and right. you've you've established you've established that rapport but also getting them to understand why mm -hmm. is is so important and if you could figure out a way of doing that's why when you were talking about the different outreach to those venture back folks if you were to just get me a really short and concise this is what I focus on. You obviously are part of that focus. And I know how to do this because that's what that's the niche I've carved out for myself. And mm -hmm. as a mortgage broker, that speaks volumes to that audience. Right. So let's drill down on that a little bit. So you you go on LinkedIn, right? Yes. Um, you probably like I do get a ton of shit on LinkedIn where it's just 
stuff you delete or you just don't even look at, right? Right. What would you say if you're a broker trying to reach out to a guy like you that would catch your attention? Because I we did on another podcast where I was just railing on people on LinkedIn that just send me like, and we pulled up like examples, like emails of people that are just like, hi, my name is so-and-so. I, da, 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 I, 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 they t- talk about themselves. Right. And then they go into what they can do for me. And they give me like 10 things they can do for me. And then they give me some links and some other ways they can find out. And I've like, already tuned out. I don't even, yeah, and that I've is the worst out. thing someone can do. But why do people do that? Everyone, it's like you get so many of those emails. I, I, I don't know. So I, I have stop no idea. doing that. If you're doing that, don't do it anymore. Yeah. Let's, let's go down and, and, and get an example of what you so should, I, what, what should someone say? If they're a mortgage broker trying to reach out to you to get you a home loan, I, I actually, to get your attention. this is, this is universal. So it yeah. does, this applies to not just mortgage brokerage or mortgage folks that sell mortgages, sure. but folks that sell anything, anything, uh, our attention span is super short, right? You have to have empathy for this, the person that you're reaching out to. They, exactly. they have, you need to convey the message in the shortest, most concise way you possibly can. Mm-hmm. The most effective emails I've ever written, the most valuable re- emails I've ever written have been three sentences or less. Yep. Uh, three very concise e- sentences or less with a very concise title. I don't recommend messaging on LinkedIn okay. um, because because of exactly what you're talking about. You get so many. Uh, there's yeah. just so many. And and, and a venture back CEO mm-hmm. uh, that just raised a Series B. They're not going to be on LinkedIn looking at emails. They're going to the, be looking in their own email box. They're going to be looking at their own email box. And also, like, you're not the only person that's trying to reach out to them. Right. So I think it's also timing. Like, I wouldn't do it on the day of. Mm-hmm. But the day that you're getting all this, all these alerts, mm-hmm. I throw them into a Google Sheet or Excel spreadsheet and set in a, a calendar you know, reminder to reach out to them in 10 days. 10 when, days is good. Yeah. When, when things have settled down a little bit, but it's yep. still relevant. Right. And, and hit them with that really short three sentence email. So and you're maybe, saying go on to maybe like a lead IQ, Crunchbase, try to get their email address. And there's ways you can get their email address yeah. versus, because some people don't have their email, their person, not their personal, but their work email address on their LinkedIn. So you got to actually. That's what lead IQ is for. So lead IQ get does that where you kind of get get a couple chances to say is it John at Fund Loans or you know no it's it actually just tells that. you what it's it simpler is? than that you you install the Chrome plugin mm-hmm. you go to their LinkedIn page and then you hit the, a button that says capture and it the way lead IQ works and it's really genius is every lead IQ user has to hook their Gmail to lead IQ. Oh, yeah. So every single time a, a new user hooks into it, it's just beefing up their d- database of verified emails. Hmm. Uh, and you know, if with every one of these different tools, like this podcast and the tools I just listed might not be relevant two years from now. Right. So yeah, take, that with, a grain, take right. that with a grain of salt, but yeah, you get that, you'll get that email, you'll get their direct phone number, you'll get so much information and yeah, hitting hitting them Three with a really sentences or less. What would you say though? Just give me give us an example. Like, what would catch your attention okay. from a mortgage broker? So, from a mortgage broker, the subject line is, you know, mortgages for venture back startups or something like that, or love mortgages it. for venture back founders. I love it. I'm gonna venture try. I'm gonna back test founder this. mortgage. Venture some, backed some phrase that has those three to five yeah. words in it. Okay, and then it would be a hi, congrats on the Series B. I specialize in uh, mortgages for venture-backed founders. If you're looking at buying a house in the next, you know, year or so, I'm your guy, and that's it. And your name and number. That's it. And I mean, that would be that would be something that would stop me in my tracks. Me personally, as yeah. a, a venture-backed founder, and you're and and me too. Just I think almost any any CEO, any you know, executive from a company like that would definitely that would stop them in their tracks yeah. i think we're all similar in that way we're all busy we all want we, we appreciate when someone gets to the point and they don't bs us we appreciate you know them making it easy for us to to solve a problem that we have right like that's something that we appreciate because we get so many emails and our job is to solve problems all day long put out fires but um if someone else is there to solve a problem especially if, if you know maybe the venture backed CEO or person has already tried to get a mortgage maybe in an earlier round. And they're like, eh, sorry, can't get it. Wait, come back to me when you got a bunch of money. Right. And so if you make it easy for them and, and then you're making a problem solving email simple for them to respond to or call, 
I think that's a, that's a winner for sure. Totally. Well, that that and I think it is. It's an interesting niche because I already if you were to ask a bunch of the founder friends that I have and folks that are founders of these venture back startups that they knew that there was a mortgage product that was does designed for venture backed mm-hmm. founder CEO, they probably would have said something like, I didn't, I didn't even know. Right. I didn't even know that that existed. Cause they're so focused on their business that right. they're not even looking for that. And even if they did look for it, the first thing they're going to do is they're not going to go hunt down a broker. They're going to probably hunt down. They're going to be walking in their bank, you know, talking to their bank about financing in their company, maybe give them a credit line for their company products or whatever. And they're going to ask the banker, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about buying a house and then maybe they, they tried and they couldn't get it. So, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's huge, man. I think that in and of itself is going to be, if people follow this advice, I think they'll, they'll win. They'll get, they'll get people like, they'll be real, really able to solve these problems. Um, so we talked about persistence. Um, how'd you get on Forbes 30 under 30? I have no idea. Did someone non- nominate you? I mean, or? I had, I had uh, several folks nominate. It's funny today, actually the 2020 list got published Okay, like, literally today. And uh, it's always so cool because it's kind of it's a it's a fraternity that you're in right. forever. Right. And and it's really done a lot of amazing things for me personally. And also it's allowed us to open some doors that might have been a little harder to open. So do you um, think people can find people like that way too? 30 under 30? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're on that list, you're uh, you have an advantage. Mm-hmm. You have an advantage. So the likelihood of those people being more successful than the folks that are not on that list is is higher. Right, right. Not doesn't mean that you're going to be more successful. You still have to do tons of work, but we get we have some more tools in our belt that, yeah. that other folks don't. So yeah, I count my lucky stars every day for that. It's definitely led to some amazing things. Open some doors, I'm sure. Yeah, totally. That's cool. I was lucky lucky enough to be on the Forbes names you need to know list. Nice. That was back in two thousand nine or something like that. Back when I had a company, a startup, uh, helping people that were going through foreclosure, which was a was a huge problem back in oh eight and oh nine. But um, so I know the feeling. I mean, I, I wasn't on the thirty under thirty, but the the names you need to know was 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 interesting and fun. Um, so. Uh, Talk to me about technology and kind of where you think that's going with finance, with mortgages. Like, I mean, I know you're, you're super tech uh, focused. Do you see, like, I know there's products coming out that are, that are very tech uh, focused, like stuff like, I mean, we had mint.com back in the day, right? Right. So there's been improvements to that. Um, Do you have any insight on kind of what, you know, what uh, I'm sure like there's business loan products, um, like I think what is it cabbage and different things like that? Like what's some, some really cool tools that entrepreneurs use right now in, in, in tech, in, in FinTech. FinTech. Well, so we actually have a bunch of FinTech brands that work with us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, stash is a really cool one. It's uh, you could trade ETFs and, and do all that from an app. Uh, what else is there? There's a, a handful of different loan and uh, insurance products that are app based that we've mm-hmm. worked with. But I oh mean, that's tough because there's so many. There's so many really cool ones. Right. I think that that landscape is going to change, especially as we kind of reach the tail end of this bull market that seems mm-hmm. to continue to keep yeah, it going. Just keeps going up. We're like, uh, yeah. So we'll. we'll I see. saw the chart the, the other day. I was like, oh my gosh, it's it's it's. it's it's high. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you look at the, the history chart and you're like, like where the Dow is and it's, I mean, like, history, uh, history does repeat itself. Yep. So I think being prepared for that, I mm-hmm. mean, the reality is human population is mm-hmm. growing. So it, it's more a people cycle. are getting in the market. Yeah. yeah. It's a cycle, mm-hmm. you know, and you, it's, you have to prepare yourself for the immediate, but know that this is a cycle and you have to know how to navigate it through the next correction. Right. And and what's interesting too, is there's a lot of people in cash right now too. So it's like, you know, you're not yet getting stock tips from the shoe shiner, you know, or the, you know, your bus boy, but I mean, you might, I mean, some people might be, but that's when they say, you know, that there's a bubble, like there's a huge bubble, right? But you just look at the chart and you're like, man, it's going to pop. Something's going to happen soon, but no one knows. I mean, if we had a, if we had that, information, we'd all be billionaires, right? Yeah. So, so how could a mortgage broker, you know, maybe get introduced to a VC or to someone who could maybe help get them referrals? 
there are a bunch of different local organizations. So like, for instance, here in San Diego, we have the uh, we have Startup San Diego. We have Interactive Day there. So there are a bunch of different events that happen that are centered around entrepreneurship, venture backed startups, startups in general. Mm -hmm. Those are great places to meet early stage folks that mm -hmm. will eventually that's the long game. Right. 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 Yeah. You, you start know, getting in them early and then when they have the money, then and they're ready to buy, then they know to go. Right. To you, right. Yeah. There's that. But then you all you, there's a you're going to have to continue to stay relevant because, you know, that person that they met at that event two years ago might not be top of mind, you know, when they're looking to get them alone. Sure. I think that's one piece of it. I think some of the smaller venture funds, so the bigger venture funds and the bigger banks that focus on, you know, venture backed companies, they all have lo yeah, yeah. loan products and mortgage products that are kind of catered to. Sure. To this. But, you know, the smaller, you know, sub hundred million dollar fund. Mm hmm might be really interested in be able to provide value to its portfolio by having somebody who could really step in and provide a mortgage product that focuses on founders that are venture backed. And maybe there's a way for that, that, that VC fund to help, you know, help with underwriting and help with sure. all that stuff. So I'm curious. They're already doing the due diligence on the company. They're already doing all, they get all the bank statements. They get all the, totally. they, they are looking under the hood like crazy. Yeah. So you were you were going to say, I think like I was going to ask what would make it also easier for a guy like you to get a mortgage? Like, is it you, you need help, right? You're busy running your company. So what other things can a mortgage broker do to make them want to choose, you know, you choose them, you know, for for the loan? Is it like making things easier, the process, maybe um getting some of that information from another source so they don't have to go to you to do it. So you don't have to go fill out a long form application. You don't have to go digging through piles of paperwork, you know, cause you don't, you're not going to want to do that. You're focused on your business. Right. Right. So like, what, what do you think could be beneficial to a guy like you? Well, from there's, a mortgage broker? yeah, there's, there's a couple things to look at there. One is if you're building a, a venture backed startup and building a company, buying a house should not be a priority. Right. Like it shouldn't be like, your board's not going to be happy with you if you're a series A startup and you're trying to figure out a way to buy a house. Sure. Like that's, it's a distraction. Right. So I'd say they're, they're probably going to tell you to, Hey James, just rent till you get right. to the point where you can buy the thing. Right. Um, on the flip side, if there was a, if there was a way to make it so that you can reduce or remove the friction from that, mm -hmm. cause there's also the, like, is it a good look? Is mm -hmm. it a good look for me to go and do this? Right. Because like, you're going to get a credit inquiry and, you know, maybe they'll, you know. Not just that, but like buying a house. Yeah. Like and making it so that you could kind of remove some of that friction and make it so that the, you know, the VC or whoever it is that you're that's that's funding you or or is sitting on your board can be the mouthpiece that says, hey, here's there's there's this mortgage broker that really specializes in this is the guy that helps us or helps all of our, uh, our portfolio founders mm -hmm. when they're ready to go buy a house and that, you know, at that series B, C, D pre IPO stage. Right. So figure out a way of crafting that and building that, those relationships, I think it definitely bear fruit. Yep. That's good. It's good stuff. Um, what gave you the idea for Rapify? So, you know, in the early, early days of my marketing career, I, I ran two technology events here in San Diego and I, San Diego doesn't really have a lot of billboard and out of home advertising. Like mm -hmm. it's compared to other big major metropolitan cities. It's, it's pretty sparse. So I thought, you know, how cool to be to tap into, and this is right at the beginning of Uber and Lyft and all these gig economy platforms emerging and nobody was tapping into like, there's no advertising component of the gig economy. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, how cool would it be to just basically create a model that sort of leverages this 1099 workforce to get out of home ads where I want them when I want them. Yep. And that, that was ethos. I wanted to use it. And I looked to see if there was a company or companies that did this. And there was like a graveyard of folks that tried to pay people to advertise on their car. Mm -hmm. And like the, the common thread was there was zero technology. It was literally a guy trying to pay you to put a sticker on your car. And they weren't solving for the value prop that needed to be solved on the, the on the, the revenue side, which is the most important side of the business, right? right. You, you, you can't sell it, then there's no business. Right. So kind of going back to your earlier statement, when you were hearing about all this stuff that was happening in the early 2000s, you didn't buy it and you didn't buy it because there wasn't a reason for you it was to like throw in something against the wall. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe someone will call. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Exactly. And so what we've done is made it so that you can actually measure it and you can actually prove that this is something that, because my background always required that I had to prove, because it is all digital marketing. I had right. to prove ROI. I had to be able to showcase, here's what I spent on this product or service or, you know, what, what I spent on this campaign. And this is what it did in terms of driving X. Mm-hmm. Which is very important. Yeah. And that, and out of home advertising that didn't really exist up until pretty recently. And that, you know, we're one of the first big players in, in driving that. That's cool. So do you guys also do anything like inside the car? Or not is it today. All that, not no. yet. Is that like but, next uh, there, stage? There, there are some companies that do that. Like cab drivers. I was just in New York and there's all kinds of stuff with cab drivers. They have, you know, they have their little swipe your card and then they have their ads are going on there. And you're like, God. It's yeah, there's <laughs> there, 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 there's actually an ecosystem of companies that are effectively building better versions of that for rideshare. Little iPads that go in the back exactly. or whatever. And, they're, and they're, there's some really clever ways of making it so it's not annoying. Yeah. And making it so that it actually is valuable and it's actually fun and it does create, uh, you know, a good experience for the rider. And so those mm-hmm. those companies are emerging. There's several. There's actually five or six of them. Because you could maybe with proximity, you could know who's in the car, what they like, and then serve them ads based on what they like. Is that is that what you're thinking? Yeah, that's I mean, that's because that's why Instagram and and Facebook are doing so well with ads. Right. Because you get like the more more you get relevant ads, the better, the less you're annoyed, less you're irritated by the ad itself. And then, you know, you're like, well, maybe I need that. Yeah. Relevance is a huge piece of this. And that's one of the reasons for why if you can drive recall and relevance, that's those two things are are what are town amount to rapify success. And that's mm-hmm. why we're able, that's why we've been growing really fast and why we've been able to raise what we've raised and, and all the really cool stuff that we've been able to do. What other things do you do for success? Do you have like a dream board? Do you have like a vision board or, you know, stuff that you, where you like, do, do you list things out that you goals you want to accomplish? Kind of what's, is there any yeah. other secrets to your success? Uh, well, so it's, it's actually kind of funny because I I just started uh, mentoring at the the San Diego State Lavin Entrepreneurship Program. Cool. So they actually have this really cool entrepreneurship program, and they match up mentors to mentees uh, that are you know going through an entrepreneurship track. Nice. At San Diego State, and I'm actually doing this with my mentee as we speak. But nice. I, I I did my own. I call it a goal chart. Mm-hmm. But it's basically a timeline mm-hmm. with an X and Y axis. And, uh, you know, there's a value axis and then there's a timeline, a basically a, you know, a, a time axis. Right. And I just try to put as many of those things on there as I as I can with dates and milestones. And I try to get them as defined as possible. Mm-hmm. And what's really cool about that, that. Uh, that exercise is you're not necessarily referring to it or looking at it every day, but going through it, it's amazing how much you don't actually know what you want to do until you do it. Because you could say, yeah, you know, when I'm 30, I want to have a net worth of a million bucks Mm -hmm. or whatever, or I want to, you know, by the time I'm 40, I want to have two kids and a wife and all that stuff or, or whatever it is. But trying to fill in all of like the little gaps it it's it's a it's your your brain gets hot like you you actually are <laughs> working the steam comes out of yeah, your ears yeah. you're, you're actually working and so it's <laughs> right. one of those things where uh when you start laying it out on paper you start applying logic to some of the different things that you're trying to do and then mm-hmm. what was really crazy is i did this in my early 20s and uh i did it i did it on in a uh a Adobe Illustrator just did it in, gra- in a graphical format because I'm very visual. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just kind of did it and it was a file on my computer and I didn't really look at it. And I, I opened it up seven or eight years later and like every single thing that I put on that happened <laughs> almost within like months of when I wanted it to happen. It's fascinating. It was, it was super weird because yeah. I didn't, it wasn't like I was looking at it or reciting it or like, actively thinking about it it was almost like i set a program Mm -hmm. and it was just kind of running in the background right it was clear i already could see it and it it, i think that translates to success in everything if you look at if you hear athletes talk about like michael jordan or wayne gretzky or Mm -hmm. any great athlete the common thread is they could see the puck hitting the net Mm -hmm. you know they could see the basketball going into the hoop Mm -hmm. before it happens yeah they had to visualize it they could see it so i think that visual that visualization and seeing okay well that makes that makes sense and that's when i want that to happen it, it all happened right and so 
Yeah, I'm a huge fan of it. I think it's it's something that everybody should do. Yeah. And it doesn't take a lot of time. No, I mean, it's a day. Yeah, it's a day. And maybe you you tweak it and you, you, you know, you, you look at look at it every couple of years. Mm-hmm. But it's not something that you have to, like, look at every day and work on every day. Right. Yeah. I mean, I did that, too, early on. And it's something I think you got to continue to do as you grow and you hit those goals, because, you know, I, I I have a board and I check off the things. Then when they happen, you know, there's a few that are like a year or two away. But um, it's it's true. You just. If you don't know where you're wanting to go, you're never going to get, you know, to that spot. So you got to know, put it as a target and then set it. And sometimes you set it and forget it. Like you said, you came back and you said, wow, I, you know, I did these things. And then it, I think probably because you did that, you already knew in your mind that's where you were going. And so you didn't have to check it every day or every week, even though some right. people might need that constant reminder to, uh, you know, these are my goals. These are my goals. You know, I got to get back to it. I got to you know, whatever it is, whether it's health, whether it's fitness, whether it's, you know, money, whether it's just quality of life, time, you know, vacations, whatever it might be. Right. It's like it's it's important to set those goals. Um, um, everything's been great. Is there anything you want to leave us with, like something that kind of was a secret to your success or something to watch out for as uh, as you kind of go into, you know, in, in, into the technology and into the economy over the next year? Anything you want to leave us with? Well, I think first off. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you you having me on the show. Um, I think that one persistence is something that you have to build on and refine. It's a, it's a tool. It's something that needs to be sharpened. It needs to be checked. Sometimes you got to push it a little too far to see how far too far is. Right. Uh, that's one thing that I think everybody should just focus on, especially if you're selling anything. Yeah. And and it might not be selling a product or service, but it might be selling yourself. Right. right? The other is that, that whole goal chart thing. This is really real in my life, but mm-hmm. I did it when I was like 20. I think I was 20 and I did it to 30. Yep. I'm 32 now and I haven't done a 30 to 40. <laughs> and I'm starting to it's I was doing this goal chart exercise with my my, my mentee and he uh, and it was kind of like, oh, wow, I, I it's like I need to go do this for myself. So, yeah, yeah make sure you, you set some time aside every year or two to, to check that because it works. Totally works. So how do we find you? How do our, our listeners find you if, if they're, uh, you know, just want to advertise or just want to reach yeah. out? And- so, yeah, if you want to learn more about Rapify, go to Rapify.com. Uh, if you want to contact me directly, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn uh, and I'm also on Twitter at James Heller. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's really, really easy to really easy to get a hold of me. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, sir. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you guys are looking for more content like this, we have a Fun Loans YouTube channel where we give away more tips, secrets, and origination ideas. You can also email us at info at funloans.com. And if you've made it this far, I think it's safe to say you like our content. So please subscribe, share, and send us your scenarios. Let's fund loans together. 